Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today's episode number 131. I'm Phil Huber, your host, joined today by Logan Whitmer. And today on a very special edition of the Shop Notes podcast, we're in coffee weather where we can finally justify drinking our hot coffee while being in our shops. Uh, We'll talk about other fall-themed items on today's episode, and a special thanks to Shaper Tools for sponsoring this episode. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. You could tackle joinery, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Right now, you can try the Origin in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. I'm sitting out here on my deck. It's like, what, three days before October 1st, which is bow opener, and there's three does wandering through my backyard. So when Kevin Thomas asks what I'm watching, that's what I'm watching. Because <laughs> he liked, he likes to call me out for a little wandering, a little watching like, the birds. What the heck is Logan doing? No, and that, that's funny because I didn't notice it until like I saw his comment, and I'm like, I had to go back and watch it because we don't watch these. We live these, man. We don't watch these. Right. And then I was like, holy crap. It looks like I like had like, I don't know, ADHD and I couldn't focus on one thing. It was pretty awful. <laughs> uh, speaking of comments from last week, uh, PM Maloney says, John's humor cracks me up. Don't stop. Don't egg him on more like. <laughs> Uh, E.G. Blue Suede says, you can't go wrong with anything from Stu Mac. I use their scrapers, dragon rasps, and files, made in Ohio, too. I'm hmm. not familiar with the dragon ra- or rasps. I'm not I'm either. I have to... Darn it, like, I need more to talk about, or need more to get from Stu Mac. Oh, yeah, so they, so they look like they look like they're a hand-stitched file, kind of like uh, the Aereo or the uh, uh, Karate oh, okay. or... Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, Lee Valley has hand-stitched rasps that I think are made in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. And I got one of those, and it is a delight to use. And not nearly as pricey as, like, the Karate or the Air You are. Yep. yep. It's, this is interesting because some of their... You know, so so most rasps or most files, you have that those long kind of parallel sides, and then they gently taper. Um, they have a couple of these dragon hand cut rasps that are like almost triangular shaped, like they're straight walled to a sharp point, which is kind of interesting. But if you think for oh. you know luthier, yeah, I will say that one thing that I do like, you know, because I think. Most of us are familiar with the common uh, woodworking suppliers. I was going to say catalogs, but very few people do catalogs (laughs) anymore or get catalogs. Tell me you're old without telling me you're old, Phil. Right. (laughs) I will say I do enjoy flipping through a good catalog. So, Oh, I do too. That special shout out to Lee Valley for continuing to make excellent catalogs that are a delight to mm-hmm. to keep around uh but i think there are several little uh tributaries of the woodworking river that mm-hmm. are fun to explore that you don't really realize are have so much fun for a, i don't know what i would like a generic or general purpose woodworker 
you know, like Stumac is one of them. Yeah. Where you think, especially when you go to their site and their first thing on there is, you know, some kind of an amp or electronic, mm -hmm. whatever. But then if you yeah. get down a little bit farther, all of a sudden you get into some of their tools and it's like, oh, well, I could yeah. use that. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it's the same way about not only their their tools and their products, but just some of the Luthery like tr tricks and techniques and stuff mm -hmm. are fascinating. And it's like I would have never thought of that, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make an acoustic guitar probably anytime I say that. Watch my tangents, but. <laughs> um, like just like Stu Mac also has a very good YouTube channel where they have a right. lot of repair and like kind of Luthery type videos and some of their techniques and stuff. I'm like, that's freaking genius. And I would have never thought to do that. Like um, one in particular, uh, there's a gentleman, an older gentleman on there that does a lot of, um, of their repair videos and stuff. And he was showing how to fix a, he was showing how to drop fill a like a chip on a on a finish so like a gloss oh. lacquer that's been really polished yeah that's been chipped he was showing how to to repair that with with ca glue i think and but then he's like now you have to sand it and you have to sand it so it's perfectly flat with the surrounding surface so his sanding technique involved like strips of sandpaper and instead of using his fingertip or something to go back and forth he would put pressure down and then pull the strip under from under his finger so it was just like direct down oh. pressure over. I was like, "That's genius!" Like, because then you're not you're only sanding the area where you're putting your finger pressure. So it was just it was. I was I like, like that. "Huh, yeah." I was like, "That's kind of cool." So one area that I I think where I started with my, I mean, other than some of the hand tools with Stu Mac was, uh, they. You know, in Luthery, there's a lot of very fine details or marquetry or mm -hmm. inlay or whatever. So they have quite a few tools for doing that and accessories for like Dremels or, yeah. you know, small rotary tools where, you know, even a palm router is too big to do yes. some of that. So they have like a little uh, plunge base and auxiliary bases and techniques yeah. and bits and all that kind of stuff for getting more from your Dremel tool, which is kind of cool. Yeah. They even have one for, um, the Fordham rotary tool. So oh, yeah. instead of having the big, having the big, you know, I mean, not, you know, big cucumber yeah. sized Dremel, uh, you have the little flex shaft and then you have the shaft coming off. I was like, ah, like these are super cool. Like I don't, I don't have any use for them currently, but they're cool. So, Plus, you can always count on, you know, like Stu Mac for having some oddball materials, too, that if you want yeah. to incorporate into your, you know, whether that's small, thin metals or, you know, abalone shells or mm -hmm. whatever. Like, you can find all that stuff separately, but, you know, sometimes scouring the whole Internet to try and find sources yes. for some things is can be just a pain. So when you can find yeah. somebody who aggregates that, makes it a little easier and. Yeah, you know the the one material that they had for a while um, that I I think they have either discontinued or it was discontinued and they brought it back, but everyone's like, ah, oh, it's not the same. They had a uh, a sandpaper called shark skin. Okay. Um, 
and supposedly it was like fantastic. It was like it was basically like from my understanding, it was basically like a stiff cloth where you could like fold it, crunch it up and stuff, and it wouldn't crease. Oh. Which so wow. you know, people were using it for like the the inside, you know, swooped cuts on the sides of violins and stuff like that. Um, just as a really really nice uh, formable sandpaper. Um, I don't know if they still have it or not. I guess I'm on Stumac, I could see. Um, but it, it had really good reviews. Yeah. Um, and I think it was discontinued. They brought it back. Um, actually, it's coming back to me. I think uh, Sandvik was the original company that produced it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So... Um, nope, I'm I'm completely off base here. <laughs> the, the shark skin abrasive, I must be thinking of something else. The shark skin abrasive is more like a um, very very thin file, um, oh. almost like a okay. rasp rasp meets sandpaper. Um, it is flexible, um, but it, this is not the cloth stuff I was thinking of. But yeah. shark skin was this is indeed the stuff that I heard a lot about. Okay. So. So I'd like to know from anybody who's listening if they have any uh, other woodworking adjacent places where you find both inspiration and possibly some tools or accessories that help that help out with your woodworking. So just share the love, man. Share the love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, woodworking stuff in oddball places <laughs> so I'm wrapping up uh, I have it next to me I'll put a photo of it on the show notes page of a carved sign that I'm working on for a gift and did all the carving on it and so that's my second carved sign now and it's kind of fun mm-hmm. not going into the business of making pub signs or anything but I think what I like about it and this goes back to some of my other carving that I've been doing is that it, for me anyway, there's like this happy balance of it's not, and no offense to people who do this, but this is how I'm placing it. It's not the like gnomes and Santas on one end of super folky kind of, mm-hmm things and it's not acanthus leaves yes where it's highly ornamented rigidly shaped or whatever this is a little bit it's still free form um but it for me it ends up being in a a real accessible kind of way Mm -hmm. because if you look closely at both of the signs that i've done there's some tear out in there and you know, if I had twice as many carving tools, I could make transitions different or whatever. But yeah, I think some of the people that I've been inspired by in the carving world, and that's got me inspired, is they have and show how to get cool looks without saying, you need three dozen carving tools. Yeah. You know, at 60 bucks a pop. So, mm-hmm. so anyway. Yeah. I th- I thought that was one of the the more interesting things that when I so I've done a couple of classes at um, the uh, oh my god why am I brain farting Indianapolis um, 
Mark Adams. Uh, Mark Adams, thank you. Holy crap, I haven't enough coffee this morning. Uh, I've done a couple classes at Mark Adams, one of which was a 18th century carving class, which was very much like the, the shells, the the canthus leaves, the you know flowers, and stuff like that. Um, and that was with uh, Al Breed, um, phenomenal craftsman. Apps, I mean, just the guy's the guy lives on a, he lives in you know twenty four fifty. Um, <laughs> well, I take that back. He lives in fourteen fifty because he specializes yeah. in like period furniture. But he sent out this big list of like, here's the tools I need you to bring for this class, and there was like thirty six tools on that, and I'm like those are $50 a piece. Like that's almost a thousand dollars in carving tools. Now don't, I mean, I have spent a lot of money on hand tools, but I'm like, that's a lot for a tool that I don't use very often. So, you know, long story short, I ended up uh, using Mark Adams set that he had there. Um, but yeah, you start, (laughs) you start getting into carving and there are a lot of different sizes of a lot of different sweeps. You know, a full set of of carving chisels, like if you for you to have every sweep and every size of that sweep, is like several thousands of dollars, and that's why oh, yeah. I mean that's kind of why I've started piecemealing a set together of vintage stuff. Right. Um, so I like the I like the idea of you know six tools. What can you get done with six tools? And and yeah. and there are people that you know I have a flex cut set of gouges. Like there are companies that put together that kind of basic set that works pretty well for most things. You know, are you going to be yeah. able to get that perfect acanthus leaf end off of this sweep gouge? Probably not. Um, but is it good enough? Yeah. Yeah. So the signs you've been doing, you've carved those like one hundred percent, correct? Yes. With hand tools. If you were going to go for efficiency, would you hog away more waste with a router? Um, you know, the first sign that I did that Blackbird sign, I had originally thought about doing that because the ones that we did for the magazine, uh, that's how Steve removed a lot of waste is, you know, he had the pattern on there and then just went at it with a plunge router and a straight bit series of straight bits to just blow away the material. And honestly, again, because I'm not trying to make money off these, uh, I would not. Uh, To me, it just wasn't worth the hassle of trying to maintain flat spots for support for the router as you go around. Yep. Or being so concerned, you know, that I have to kind of like work in, you know, down to my final depth and then kind of concentric circles out and wider. So you do have that router support. Um, Plus knowing that that was just going to be a blizzard of chips and crap (laughs) all over the place. So it's it's almost something you need to do like outside where you can blow it away. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So. No, I was, was... Um, so that that was my that was my personal calculus on yeah. it. I know people do that and super cool. That's how you do it, but I guess I liked it because um I was using basswood on the first one. This other one is some air-dried walnut from you mm-hmm. and both of them, I mean obviously the basswood was way easier, but yeah. on both of them 
you know, with sharp tools, you're just kind of peeling off big sections and you can just go right at it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I was, I was thinking, oh, those would be, I guess my biggest reason why I haven't done it yet is just a time constraint. And I'm like, ah, you could probably get through a lot of it with a router. Yeah, but you could, but ugh, it makes a mess. Yeah. So especially in my shop downstairs right now until the, the shop out here is done. It's like, right. ah, I would rather not do that or do it on the deck, you know? Yeah. Or it would be, yeah, if you could do it outside or if you had, you know, like the routers that I have are kind of pre Festool vintage where there's sure. serious dust collection built into the router itself. Yeah. So, I mean, on any router, there's going to be some chips that are going to escape even with really good dust collection. But yep. I think some routers do a better job of it than than what I would have right now. So Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Okay. You know, another person, you know, Chris Fitch does kind of folk-inspired carvings and one thing that was kind of fun and watching him do some of the things that he does for carving and talking to him about it is which i think is kind of a hallmark of chris in general is that he never really gets prescriptive on something yeah. where it's like hey what tools do you have you know thinking like he's going to recommend well you need the blah 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 this and the whatever he goes well Mainly what you do is you just kind of use the tools that you have. And mm -hmm. then if you're looking for this kind of thing, then you need something that's wide and has a significant curvature to it, something narrow with a significant curvature to it. And then maybe two that are not as curved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, oh. So instead of getting into, you need a number seven sweep that's 31 millimeters wide yep. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's kind of cool. Yeah. One of the, one of the appeals, I think you're, you're right on the, you know, you hit the nail on the head with doing those signs is a little bit. So this, the type of carving that Chris does now, we, we both know Chris. Um, so anything Chris does is pretty much perfect. Um, but like that type of carving or like the little gnome or Santa carving, the, the charm and the appeal of that to me is that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect. There's no perfection on those. You know what I mean? Like, right. Oh yeah. Like you can't say, Oh, you know what? That gnome's hat should have swept up a little bit more or ah, maybe <laughs> a little too much was removed here. Like you can't really say that. And yeah. that's part of the charm to me. Cause I'm one that. You know, I, I've always kind of preached, like, there's a point where it's good enough. Like, yeah. you know, chasing perfection is a little silly, in my opinion. Like, you can always strive to get better, but chasing perfection, like, what is that? What What is that really? Um, you know, part of the, the appeal to me to, like, some of the signs and stuff is they are a little bit more structured, where it's like, okay, you could tell if that T is a little squiggly, mm. and it was, you were shooting for straight, but it still doesn't really matter. Right. So yeah, to me, that's, that's part of the fun of it is, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, the, the other side is, you know, intarsia balloon animals. Like you're not going for super cartoony, but it, it's still abstract a little bit, which is fun. Oh yeah. 
Right. So, and I guess the way that I look at it too, is that with these signs and some of the other carving that I've done is you see progress relatively quickly and you can get from mm -hmm. beginning to end of the project quickly. Yep. Not that speed matters, but that you see, you see the fruit of your labor. Yeah. You know, it's, um, well, like when you were picking up turning, you know, yep. there's a certain delight in the fact that in 15 minutes, you can go from something that probably should be in the firewood pile to kind of a cool bowl. Yep, exactly. Yep. Because so. I'm just not, I don't have the, my personality on some things is not to have, to spend multiple hundred hours on a given project. I just, yeah. And can't. I, I know, I know there are people that are like that. That's not me either. Like, you know, when I was down with David and Marks, we were talking about one of his big wall sculptures he had just completed. And he told me he had 3000 hours in it. And I'm like, I now, just can't even, David, I just can't contemplate no, that. No. And now David is, you know, Self-admittedly, he is not a fast woodworker. He is meticulous, but he's not fast. So right. he's like, you know, somebody probably could have got this done in a thousand hours. And even that, I'm like, that doesn't appeal to me. Like, I, I get it, but I like to have a blend of efficiency and enjoyment. And, right. like, it's like the... You know, the, the old Chinese, there has to be an old Chinese proverb that says, you know, guy spent 7,000 years building his, you know, whatever, his entry door because it's the entrance to his house. Like, mm, nope, nope, yep. not dedicating my life to one project. So. And for those of it. you who can do that kind of stuff, like <laughs> what keeps you going? But legitimately, I would like to yeah. know, like, how do you find... Where's the inspiration and motivation that keeps you plowing forward on something that has that kind of detail and level of concentration that you can stick at it? Yeah. Like, I think there are, I mean, there are, you know, for me, there are a couple of projects that I know are going to require quite a, a investment in time, but I still have a desire to do them because progress can readily be measured on them. Um, right. You know, one of the, one of the, one of the projects I have that I really would like to build when this shop is done, which is starting in a couple weeks, thankfully, finally. Um, yep. Uh, is a cedar strip canoe. I mean, that's something I've wanted to build for a long time. I, I think it would be an interesting project for the magazine. Um, so that's what I would, you know, that's one of my projects. It, I, I have read you're going to have 100 to 150 hours in one. Okay, yeah. that's not that big. I mean, it's a lot, but you can readily I can visualize measure. 150 hours. Yeah, and and it's it's a you can measure that progress visually. Like every day, you see, you see it's something different. So it's like, hey, yeah. you got the strong back set up. Now the next day you worked on, you know, these 13 rows of strips. The next day you did 13 more. So you can right. see, you know, every day a snapshot of the project. You can see it evolve. Where, 
you're working on a little meticulous project or even a big meticulous project, you're the progress is slow. So special shout out to Shaper Tools. They make that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC that lets you do all kinds of cool stuff with your woodworking, whether it's joinery and construction or hardware installation or inlay and marquetry, all that kind of stuff. You can check out their site, shapertools.com, to learn more. Yeah. So, Phil, now that, obviously, people watching on YouTube see I'm sitting outside in a winter coat. Not winter coat. In a fall jacket. It is chilly go. out. It is 45 degrees. Are you... Just during the summer, it gets pretty hot in your shop, I assume. I assume this is probably it's, your kind of sweaty. shop time. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you getting to the point where it's like, yeah, I can get back out in the shop, maybe kick my heater on? Yeah, I've actually been able to spend a little bit more time in my shop recently. Um, we still had some hot days not that long ago. I think in Iowa just a week ago from when we we're recording yeah. this, it was in the 90s. Um, yeah. But there were still plenty of days where it didn't feel as oppressive. So then, yes, I was out in my shop and I can have the the garage door open in my two shop windows and there's some airflow. Yep. And I could keep, keep on there. But like this is kind of prime time for me because it's not too hot so that if I'm doing something that's hand tool intensive, I'm not dripping sweat all over the project. Yep. Um, and I can be relatively comfortable out there, you know. Yeah. It it feels like the last few years in Iowa, the what ends up happening is you have it's day you get a couple of cool fall preview days in late August. September the handful of warm days that make it seem like summer's never gonna leave. October is kind of a delight, and then November has been just super cold and dark and rainy. Yep. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's like December turns into a much milder month, but still cold. So yeah. it's these, these couple of months here where I just really enjoy being in my shop where I almost don't, I, I kind of go like, how long can I go without having to turn on the, the shop heater? Sure. And then all of a sudden November hits and it's like, the shop heater is not enough. I'm going to have to yeah. light some of my scrap wood on fire here. See, the, and it's funny because I feel like it's either always too warm or just too freaking cold. Like, you know, not, not necessarily woodworking related, but like, you know, a lot of times we get into deer season and it's like, I'm deer hunting during shotgun season, which is in December in t-shirts because it's so hot and we're having to pack deer full of ice to keep them cold. Right. Or it goes the opposite way and it's like freezing in October, you know? Um, yeah. and it's one of those things like right now I'm hoping, I'm hoping for a mild fall because I am, um, you know, this, the shop's going up. So I'm trying to get concrete poured before it freezes, before it gets too cold. Um, right. so I'm like hoping like middle of November stays in the fifties, sixties. I'm cool with that. And then we'll, you know, after concrete's down, go as cold as you want, man. Like, I don't care. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually, it's, it's funny because, you know, one of our listeners, Nelson, um, he's came down and got some lumber for me. That's where I got my uni pizza oven. Uh, Nelson works in HVAC and he keeps, you know, 
he I know he listens to our podcast. Um, and he he was telling me a couple months ago, like, hey, if you, you know, as you're starting to play in the shop, play it on radiant heat. He's like, just do it, suck it up, don't be a baby, just do it. And I keep thinking, oh, I mean, the shop's already going to be expensive. However, I have found a company that you could buy like a DIY in floor radiant heat kit fairly inexpensively. Yeah. So I guess the big the bigger thing right now is for me is like, you know, as we start to get cool like this, it's like I really would like to have a warm concrete floor. <laughs> like, yeah. I really would like that. Um, I I get that, but I my yeah. issue is, and I don't know what maybe it's the it's probably the pessimist in me that's like, if you do radiant heat, then any problems are buried in concrete. Yeah, because my I parents were looking that. at a house several years ago, and it was yeah. a house that was built in the '60s, early radiant heat, where they used I don't know lead or whatever they did back then, and there were yep. leaks in it. So now you have leaky yeah. radiant in the concrete, and to sure. fix it is yeah, is like taking a smart bomb to your house. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we've gotten away from, I'm not going to pretend to be an HVAC expert by any means. I think we've gotten away from like that type of thing with the packs because there's no seams in it and it's, it's, it's plastic right. packs. Um, the, uh, you run the lines, um, the, the, so the, com the, the one I was looking at was like, uh, you, you get the kit, you get the manifold. It comes in a, in a plywood box. You unscrew the front and unscrew the top. You set that on your floor, and then they pour concrete around that. Which okay. so it, it's like a self-contained manifold unit. Sure. And you run the packs, and then they give you. Uh, it comes pre-installed with a um, pressure testing kit on it. So what you do is after everything's hooked up, you put pressure in it, and you let it sit for I don't remember six or twelve hours. Make sure the pressure hasn't dropped at all, and then you yeah. reduce you reduce the pressure by half when they're pouring concrete. And the, the idea is that if any leaks actually are happening or if the concrete guys puncture a PEX line, PEX is pretty strong. I don't know that you're going to puncture a PEX line. Yeah. But the thought is that the, the air pressure in the lines is going to bubble the concrete. So you'll see where there's issues. Oh, so okay. I think once, you know, once it's in, I don't know that you're going to have problems with the lines in the concrete. Maybe you will. I don't know. I'll have to look at that. Yeah. But it's like. Either you do it now or you don't do it. Right. And that's that's the thing that I'm thinking, and it would sure be nice not to have. I mean, I am going to do mini splits for air conditioning and supplemental heat, but a lot of the mini splits have a minimum operating temperature for heat because they're yeah. a heat pump. Um, right. You know, they'll only work down to, you know, 30 degrees or they'll only work down to zero degrees or whatever the rating is. And we we get those negative 15 degree days. So, you yeah. know, some some additional supplemental heat. Now, I do I do really want a uh, I do really want I like the ambience of having a uh, wood burner in there. So maybe I do that too. I don't know. Yeah, but I just kind of that that can come down the road. That doesn't need done right now while the building's being built. Sure, like like radiant heat wood. And I am not, I have decided there's no way I'm going to put radiant heat in the entire thing. 
like the storage area. Right. Like, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to like back everything out of there and let my kids ride bikes in it in the middle of winter. They can do that in the winter yeah. coats. Right. But they got to grow up at some point. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I got, I got a diesel, uh, I got a diesel turbo heater. They can, <laughs> they can smell like diesel. They'll be fine. But no, I mean, I, I would, it would be nice at one point to have a shop that I could have a little wood burning stove in and not feel like I'm going to burn my cars down or something like that. But yeah, well, you know, and I thought about, uh, because the way you can get little mini, I, I, my point is you can get little tiny mini stoves that are designed right. for like people on their sailboats and stuff. Sure. Like in your shop, I feel like that'd be perfect. Oh, like I know. you just get that radiant heat coming off of it. Um, it's uh-huh. not going to heat the entire shop, but you don't need it. To, you don't really need to heat the entire shop. No, I don't. Um, and it would be that would be it, awesome. It would be awesome. Yes. Like yeah, I I thought about um, maybe just to tickle my desire for a wood burner is to put one of those like because I am putting a small office in there. Yeah. Maybe put that in the office. You know, just so okay. I have something. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. My wife might freak out if I put a wood burning thing in the shop. I always like the uh, I like the classic looks of an old cast iron wood stove. Yeah. Um, my grandparents had one in their house. We had one in our attic when I was growing up and was disassembled. But I remember my dad using it when I was little just for supplemental heat. They'd have it set up in the basement and mm-hmm. would kind of radiate up through the floor. Um, so I like that, the visualness of it and the, just the warmth that comes off of it. But I think yeah. uh, I think it would also be cool, especially in a workshop environment, because it's a little bit safer. It's like those Scandinavian, like masonry sto- wood-burning stoves, you know, where it's, yeah. you get a big hot fire in there and you're warming up huge chunks of stone and then yep. that radiates heat till yeah. spring you know yep yeah yeah well yeah i think i i like that like i said i like the uh, the ambiance of a, a a wood burner i don't think i would ever really want to rely on it as a sole form of heat if there is stuff in your shop that cannot freeze. You know what I mean? Like, right. If I yes. had, if I had a, if I had a, you know, a bathroom, I'm not going to, I don't want to rely on wood heat because there's going to be a time where it's like, you know what? No, it's negative 15 now. I'm not going outside to put wood in there and yeah. then it's going to get cold. It's going to freeze in there, which it probably wouldn't overnight, but it's like, I don't want to take that chance. No, but it's one of those things where, you know, say you went to visit, family for christmas and you're yep. gone for five days that's right yep you know yeah what you gonna do <laughs> yeah you know knock gonna... on your neighbors they're like hey can you throw some wood in my stove for the next yeah. couple nights <laughs> so i don't know i just like the fact that we're rolling into fall leaves are starting to turn my walnut trees are they've been dropping leaves for about four weeks now i'm looking at the tops of them tops of them are bare um yeah but there's still a lot of leaves on them but we're getting into milling time is what we're getting into. I've noticed around on my morning walks with the dog that uh, it's mostly 
I've seen more leaves on the ground, but it's mostly been acorn season. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of crunching acorns as you walk along, and yeah. And the deer in my neighborhood, even though I live in town. The other night I was walking the dog and saw six deer. Mm-hmm. So there's a one of the houses in our neighborhood has a couple of apple trees and pear trees. Oh yeah. So they were there were three deer eating those. And then I walked a little bit farther and then there were another three deer that were eating acorns and Yep. It's kind of funny to oh, see. Yeah. Well, I think they they know that the you know the the swing in daylight, the swing in temperatures. I think they know the the two deer that or three deer that jumped up um, when we started recording the podcast. You can tell that they've transitioned out of their summer coats, yes, into their winter coats, because the, they go like from that dull gray now that they have. Yeah. And... Yep. Yep. They they go from the really pale brown to or you know kind of nutty brown to a dark yeah. dark gray or pale gray. You know, like a you know rust or a brown gray color. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, I, I don't like milling oaks during the summer cause they check so easily. So it's like fall, winter, early spring is fine. But if it gets too dry, if it gets too hot, too fast, oak lumber shot. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, and I don't have, I, right now I don't have any good way. I, I try to cover my, my oak stacks with shade tarps if I do right. cut it in the summer, but it, it never fails. I always have top one or two rows that, that check and I just can't use them. So yeah. cool. I think that wraps up another episode of the shop notes podcast. Special thanks to shaper tool. You've probably seen their shaper origin. They got some fun accessories to go with it. Cause if you can't accessorize a tool, then it's not worth having. And uh, you can check out their uh, Shaper workstation and their Shaper plate and a couple of their other digital tools that go along with it. Uh, Take a look at shapertools.com to learn more and to find out how you can have the origin in your shop for 30 days. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, I want to hear about it. You can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com, or leave a comment in the comments section on our YouTube channel. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.